Heavenly Father, we come to you today with humble hearts, Lord, and asking for you to come and meet us. Lord, that you would come to this place, Lord, and that you would open our hearts to hear all the words and all the wisdom, Lord, that you are trying to tell us. Lord, that you would write your love and your grace and your mercy on our hearts, Lord. Lord, and that we would see you for the powerful creator that you are and the wonderful Savior, Lord, that you are. We give you thanks and praise and pray all this in your son's name. Amen. 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 If you would please be seated. Good morning. Well, today we continue our sermon series, Jonah, God's Relentless Mercy. And last week, we got our introduction to Jonah with the central idea being that God's mercy is not dependent on us. With God's mercy being his forgiveness and compassion that he shows toward those who deserve judgment. Therefore, it's, it's not on our own standing and achievements and failures or, st- or strengths that we stand. But it's on his mercy and his grace. And that can be difficult to grasp. It can be especially difficult given our performance-driven, survival-of-the-fittest Western American culture that kind of drives us. And if we're looking at things from social media all the way to politics, uh, we see that mercy is the thing that comes in short order, that we're more likely to, to see our lives playing out where we seek to destroy and discredit Anyone in opposition to us, anyone with an opposing view, anyone with an opposing stance. In the power structures of our fallen world, we also see that mercy has little to no value. It's usually a sign of weakness and powerlessness. It's not a sign of godliness. It's definitely not a sign of strength and sovereignty and might. And it's because of these things that it's so important for us to dive deeper into understanding God's mercy. Because in God's economy, it's a, it's a little bit different. In God's economy, mercy is strength. It has the power to change, to impact, and to transform lives, cultures, and even the world. And the more we understand this, the more we will see God's heart for a world that is set against him. We'll see God's heart for a world that is opposed to him. We'll experience his heart and his love. Because we are in desperate need of God's mercy. We are so desperate of that. Right here today, tomorrow, the next, and years from now, we will always be in need of God's mercy. And the more we understand God's mercy, we get to know him better. The better we'll understand the depths of his love and his patience, the more we will experience in a personal, deep way that God's mercy has been demonstrated In Jesus Christ, supremely at the cross. And through that understanding, as God's mercy kind of becomes entrenched and ingrained in our hearts, we're going to be better enabled to show his mercy to other people. Because the character of God then becomes not just something that we can know or talk about, but the character of God becomes a part of us, ingrained in us. We reflect the character of God. And so just as God is a God of mercy, then we, the church, God's people, the ones that he loves, the ones that he died for, 
we live into our call to be people of mercy. That mercy isn't just something that we will show and exhibit. It's going to be part of who we are. It'll become part of our identity. And that's my hope and prayer, that as we read through Jonah, as we go through this series, that God will cultivate in each of us a heart of mercy, that we'll become merciful people. So I really do encourage you, as we're walking through this sermon series, and it's great that we spend this time here on Sunday mornings uh, walking through this text, but I want to encourage you to to read this and continue to marinate in this story outside of of Sunday mornings, to either re-listen to the sermon, to read the text again, to talk about it and discuss it with your friends and your family. We have resources with different books uh, and discussion questions online that can help you through that process. If you're like, okay, so where do I start with that? That can help spur that conversation to guide you through that. So I really encourage you to keep the story of Jonah as something that you're, you're marinating in every single day. And so with that, if you would, open your Bibles up to Jonah chapter 1. You go to your Bibles, your Bible apps, you got the uh, Bibles in the seats in front of you. And uh, we'll be in Jonah chapter 1 starting in verse 4. And as we turn to that, we'll kind of just briefly recall what happened in the last few verses. It starts off in Jonah's a prophet of the Lord that God calls and sends on a mission uh, to call upon an entire city of people. And Jonah receives this call directly from the Lord, and his response is to run in the complete and opposite direction. And this graphic showed last week that you can't go much more in the opposite direction than Jonah went. We're not told why he runs, we're just told that he does with the focus being on this physical movement away from Nineveh. And that represents a spiritual movement away from the presence of the Lord. That as Jonah is physically moving away from the place that God has called him to, he is spiritually falling further and further away from God. And that brings us to today. And the story continues, and Jonah's now, he's on the ship, and he's sailing towards Tarshish. He's going as fast as he can to get there. And that's where we'll pick up here in verse 4, where it says, uh, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, what do, you mean, uh, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you a thought to us, and we may not perish. So at this point, Jonah's on a ship sailing away from the place that God has told him to go, and the Lord hurls a great wind. Now, to get kind of a picture of what's going on, to really envision the situation these guys are in, I feel like they kind of undersold this to us when we were kids. Like going through VBS and watching some VeggieTales videos, like I, I, I read this and I picture an asparagus with a rubber duck around his waist jumping into the water. <laughs> I don't think that tells us fully what's going on. I think this picture right here of the deadliest catch maybe can tell you a little better how scary this is. Like, if what Jonah's going through is even close to this, that's a lot scarier. This is like, that's frightening. I get anxiety looking at that picture. That's the, the, that's the Lord hurling. He didn't kind of like toss or nudge. He hurled a great 
wind. This isn't just a low-pressure system. This isn't a nice little front. This is a hurled wind from God. It's a big deal. And the waters are so aggressive in this that sea mariners, guys who live on the sea, this is like their life, are so scared that they are calling out and crying out to whatever God they can think of. They are fearful for their lives. And, and with this, what does Jonah do? He's scared, right? Nope. He, <laughs> he goes down into the... This is like... It's almost like comedic in some ways. Like he goes down to the inner part of the ship and goes to sleep. These men are crying out to the Lord, whatever God they can think of, and Jonah's sleeping at the bottom of the ship. Are you kidding me? How is that possible? How is he so disconnected? How is he so in a place that he can sleep in the middle of a storm where people are crying out for their lives? And I think this really speaks to the hardened state of Jonah's heart. I think that shows how numb he's become, how disconnected and how separated he is from God. That nothing, not even fear for his own life, has much value or meaning. There's nothing there. And this really shows how dangerous and deadly sin is. That sin and separation from God anesthetize us to God and to others. It's like this injection that seeps throughout our body, numbing us to any sense of pain or awareness of anything going on inside of us or around us. That's sin. It's like a spiritual lullaby that's kind of singing us to sleep. And as we drift deeper into that sleep, our senses are dulled more and more and we feel nothing. And this is what we're seeing so far in Jonah's progression through life. That the further away he moves from the Lord, the more and more numb he becomes. Now, when I was a kid, there's a game called Mortal Kombat that came out. I don't know if some of you guys ever heard of it or played that game, but what was so, so shocking about Mortal Kombat is that there was blood in the video game. That when someone got punched, it was like, and it flew everywhere. And all the kids were like, this is so cool. And all the parents were like, what is going on with video games? And as I grew up and as I played more games, as I did more things, I got to the point now that as, as an adult, I can't really tell you if there's blood in video games or not. And it's not that I have never played a video game since Mortal Kombat, because I have. The Call of Duties and all that stuff. I have no clue what the level and depth of violence is in these games. And I think that that, I'm not trying to speak for or against violence in video games or anything like that. What I do think this shows is that in my life, what I've seen is the more that I was surrounded by these things, the more that it became normalized for me, the less aware I was of what was taking place. And with Jonah, I think that that can help us understand this is kind of what sin does, is that something that seems shocking in the beginning, that the more that we're engaged with it, the more that we're around it, the more that it surrounds our lives, the number we become each and every single day, and we don't even realize how far we've drifted away. We are de-shaped, de we're like deconstructed through that process of dulling and numbing. 
And some of us today are being anesthetized to the things that are separating us from God. We have no clue. We're, it's that injection that's slowly going through us. And like Jonah, our hearts are being hardened. And while it may seem insignificant now, it has the ability to completely dull our senses and put us to sleep. And all of us, like Jonah, have run. We're unwilling to receive mercy. We've been unwilling to show mercy. Our hearts have been hardened. So the question we ask then is, well, is there any hope? <laughs> like with where Jonah's at, where's the hope in that? Is there any good that God can do with this? And here's the good news in this, that God's mercy can pen penetrate even the hardest of hearts. That as Jonah's in this deep, dark place, God is able to move. It's not a question of whether he can or how can he. It's more of like we need to be aware of how he is doing it. What can God do to help enlighten us to see where he is moving? You know, these, these sailors are calling out to whatever God that they can. They ask Jonah to do the same. And then they sit down and like they have no idea what's going on. If you haven't noticed, Jonah hadn't said a word so far. He's not said a thing, okay? So they cast, the sailors cast lots, and a lot falls on Jonah, pretty obviously for us. And they ask him who he is, and the, this is where we get his response in verse 9. So if you want to look at verse 9, he says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. And they reply, what have you done? They kind of get it already. They get it more than Jonah. Like, you've obviously done something. Like, your God obviously has this power. I don't even know your God, but I get that. And they ask him what to do. And Jonah tells him, hey, hurl me into the sea. This is my fault. And the sailors don't do that, actually. They try to row to shore, and they realize that the winds are getting worse. They're getting crazier. The sea is getting more rough. So they cry out to the Lord, they plead for mercy, they throw Jonah into the sea, and the wind stops, and the sea's calm. And the men give their life to the Lord, they offer sacrifices, they vow vows, they make these promises to the Lord, they give oaths. And they've done this despite the fact that Jonah's done nothing to actually lead them there. All he did was say, identify himself with his ethnic, like, his ethnic identity being the first one he gave, too. With Gentile sailors, he already has said, like, I'm a Hebrew. I'm separate from you. So Jonah's done literally everything in the book to distinguish himself differently from these sailors and done nothing to extend God's mercy, yet God is merciful. And he moves. He moves even though Jonah himself is disconnected. He's spiritually asleep. And we see that God's mercy is greater than our spiritual sleep. He's, God's mercy is greater than the spiritual sleepiness that we're kind of caught and entrenched in. And it reveals God's purpose and his mission or power than even the biggest of slights that we may have against him. That God is able to put his truth on the lips of a prophet who hasn't spoken yet and demonstrates through these actions, through the calming of the sea, through Jonah himself, that God's mercy to these pagan sailors. 
that Jonah, as he says, like, look, hey, I fear the Lord God who made the, dry, the sea and the dry land, that these sailors understand that, they see that, and it's real for them. Again, we don't know why Jonah's running yet. He hasn't said. But see, we see that even as a man running away from the Lord, God can use Jonah to draw others who are far off closer to himself. God still uses Jonah in the midst of not just disobedience, but intentional disobedience. And he's able to use Jonah to be a light to the nations, like Israel was called to be. Despite all that Jonah does, God still moves. And when confronted about the storm, Jonah still doesn't, he doesn't say anything at first, right? He says nothing. And he knows the cause. And so then he, we, you get to that point and he says, you know what, throw me into the sea. Give my life and that'll calm everything because this is my fault. But Jonah isn't doing a noble thing here by volunteering to be thrown into the sea. He's actually being completely selfish still. He knows why it's happening, and he essentially says that I would rather die than do what God has asked me to do. I would rather die than to be obedient to the Lord. That's how disconnected, that's how numb he is. That's how asleep he is. He's so deep in his sleep. Now, maybe you're like me and you've looked at this and it, <laughs> you've asked, how in the world can God be merciful to Jonah? In the midst of all that he's done and intentionally doing so, how can God have mercy on him? Jonah has made himself opposed to God. He's made himself an enemy of God, and he is intentionally acting counter to the will of God. And yet God is relentless in his mercy, and he keeps working and moving and pressing forward to pull the sailors closer to himself, and the Lord is pushing and moving and working to draw Jonah back to himself to get his attention and that's just like with us. When we lack mercy, when we don't even want to receive God's mercy, God's response is, is not to revoke that and to pull his mercy away from us. It's to press his mercy even further towards us. That God in this conquers through our disobedience and his mercy is abundant. His steadfast love remains. And he is willing to use any and all circumstances in our lives to draw us back to his merciful heart. And that even includes literal storms that we may come across. And I think that's something for those who were here at Apostles when we saw what God was able to do through Harvey, that God can work through literal storms to draw people closer to himself. There's a German theologian by the name of Diedrich Bonhoeffer, maybe some of you know of him, who was arrested in 1943 during World War II for his resistance to Hitler. And it was mainly because he was saving and rescuing Jews. Now, during his imprisonment, he began writing uh, like a multitude of reflections on the meaning of Jesus Christ for today, during that time, how God was moving in the midst of this terrible, terrible evil that was taking place uh, during World War II. And then on April 9th, 1945, one month before Germany surrendered, 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged with six other resistors. Now, a decade later, one of the camp doctors who witnessed Bonhoeffer's hanging described the scene like this. The prisoners were taken from their cells and the verdicts of court material were read out to them. Through the half-open door in one room of the huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer, before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a prayer and then climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued in a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I've worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. God is able to draw people closer to his heart. God is able to mercifully show himself and his love for us regardless of whatever the circumstance may be, no matter how great or how terrible. And the greatest example of this is seen at the cross. Bonhoeffer in one of his writings wrote this, that God lets himself be pushed out of the world and onto the cross. He is weak and powerless in the world, and that is precisely the way, the only way, in which he is with us and helps us. The Bible makes quite clear that Christ helps us, not by virtue of of his omnipotence, but by virtue of his weakness and suffering. The Bible directs man to God's powerlessness and suffering, and only the suffering God can help. As Paul wrote in Romans that, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God's mercy is great. And we see it at most in the weakest moment that he has. The cross remind us, reminds us that there's no limit to God's mercy. There's no place too far. There's no depth that's too deep. You are never so far gone that you are outside of God's merciful reach. And Jonah is a great illustration of that. And the cross reminds us that we all desperately need God's mercy. And just like these sailors who are far from the Lord and crying out to the gods, and they rise to toss Jonah into sea, they then cry out to the Lord God, maker of heaven and earth. God shows them mercy and saves saves them from the storm and draws them to his heart. There's no place too far, no matter where we are. God's mercy knows no limits. And even Jonah's own selfish ambition, his selfish uh, ways of life, his own self-preservation can't stop God's mercy from working through his circumstances and in the lives of others. And that's what God wants to do with each one of us today. 
I want to ask you, could it be possible that God's trying to work through you today, right now? Is there something in your life, a difficult circumstance, is there a pain that you have, a suffering that you're enduring? Is there an addiction that weighs you down? Is there anger, frustration, resentment, unforgiveness that you feel like is putting you spiritually to sleep? Because what we see is that God can use those circumstances to not only show you mercy, but to show mercy to others. What a beautiful thing. And if that's the case for you and God is reaching out and he's conquering through those things to show you his love, how would that change your life? How would that change the way you wake up each morning? How would it change the way that you love your spouse? How would it change the way you love your children? It would change everything. And so what we see here is that sin is dangerous. This rebellion against God is not only dangerous, but it's deadly. Rejecting God's call uh, and his design for our lives can numb us to his mercy and his love. It'll harden our hearts and lead us to feel, think, and do things that we never would have imagined to be possible. And it lulls us to sleep spiritually. But the good news, the good news of the cross is that God's mercy knows no limits, and none of us are beyond that. In the name of Jesus Christ, we f- be free from those things. In the name of Jesus Christ, be a sleeper who wakes up and rises from the dead. Just as Paul says in Ephesians 5, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and the light of Christ will shine upon you. With one last thought being that God works through our most difficult and dark moments to remind us of his mercy and to show mercy to others. God works through the most difficult and dark of moments to remind us of his mercy and to show mercy to others. Receive that mercy here today. Come to the table and receive all that he's pouring out to us here this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks, Lord, that you never give up. Lord, that you are bigger and more powerful than any of the things that can hold us captive in life. And Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would set us free from those things. Lord, that you would wake us up from the spiritual sleep that we may be being lulled into. Lord, move in our hearts in a way, Lord, that we can receive your love and the mercy that you're pouring out to us. Lord, that you poured out in your blood on the cross. We give you thanks and praise and pray, Lord, that you would transform us to be more and more like you. Amen.